Uh, Let me tell you Alan's story. Now, as I've said every week in this series, I've changed Alan's name and his details and he is not part of this congregation. Alan is married to a lovely Christian woman. They have two delightful children. Uh, They're actively involved in their local church. More than involved, Alan has some leadership responsibilities in the church that he attends. Uh, The local church sees him as a mature Christian man. But Alan has a dark secret. He regularly looks at pornography on the net. Or he feels guilty about it. Uh, So he covers his tracks very carefully. He's learned how to wipe clean from his computer the history of his internet activity so that his wife will never stumble across his dark secret and so that no one else will ever find out either. He feels guilty, but he, he still carries on. And this has been going on for 15 years or so now. This disgusting habit has a real grip on him. Alan is enslaved to porn and uh, all the fantasies that spring from it as well. He says, I I want to stop it, but I can't. Well, that's Alan's story, but here's the shocking thing. That story is replicated hundreds and hundreds of times amongst Christian men in evangelical churches up and down the country. These are men who can tell you their Christian testimony, who Uh, attend weekly Bible studies, who even lead Bible study groups. Men who have a a regular daily time of Bible reading and prayer. Isn't it shocking? The leader of another church in this city, Tim Chester, led a seminar on dealing with pornography at the uh, Keswick Convention this year. Here's the brochure. And listen to the first sentence um, uh, which explains his seminar, introduces his seminar. One survey suggests 50% of Christian men have used pornography. Shocking, isn't it? Alan and men like him are slaves. Slaves to porn. uh, They say, I tried, but I can't stop it. So, pornography is their master by their own admission. Alan and men like him need to know the liberating power of redemption. Our big word today. Before I explain redemption and before those of us who don't have a pornography problem begin to think this sermon is not directly relevant to us, let me tell you that we all need to know about the power of redemption in Christ because if it's not pornography, it's something else. Too many Christians are living as slaves to all sorts of things, things that are more respectable than pornography, respectable to us that is, but no less enslaving and for that reason no less abhorrent to God. I I told you Alan's story. I could have told you Anne's story or Bob's story or Belinda's story. Stories of men and women who are slaves to their careers. Now, don't mishear me. There is nothing wrong with being successful in our workplace. But please do hear this. When our career becomes our master, it is a terrible thing. Anne, Bob and Belinda and hundreds of Christian men and women in evangelical churches up and down the country are slaves to their career and it is killing them spiritually. Uh, Look closely at their lives and you'll see that their careers, not God, drives pretty much all the big and important decisions they make in life. The pursuit of their career sees their family being sacrificed on the altar of success See, I could tell you stories of fathers who don't have good relationships with their children because they're always at work and when they finally do get time with the precious little ones that God has given them, 
Their mind is somewhere else. I could tell you stories of people who take a job, a promotion, and uproot the family without thinking about whether there's a good Bible-believing church in the area. Doesn't that tell you where their priorities lie? I could tell you stories of people who justify their decision to pursue their career and take the latest promotion by saying it will help to pay the children's education and and give the family wonderful holidays and buy a bigger house and set them up for retirement. And doesn't that explain who they really serve? And of course this pursuit of career can be driven by any number of other slave drivers. It's not quite as straightforward as the pornography issue. Now, there are other things behind that desire to have a great career. Some are mastered by the desire to succeed and to become someone. Others are enslaved by the desire to have more money because with a bigger wage comes all the benefits they so long for, materialism, holidays, early retirement. Look, the point is this. In Great Britain, in the land of Wilberforce, that great freedom fighter of the 19th century, we think we are free We think we're freer than we've ever been. The truth is we are slaves. Slaves to all that the world is telling us is important. Slaves to fashion. You can see that's not my problem. I have other problems. Uh, Slaves to technology and the need to have the latest gadgets. Slaves to hedonism and the constant pursuit of leisure. Slaves to sex, as we've already thought of. And occasionally, just occasionally, we know and we feel the truth of our enslavement when we feel trapped. Remember that moment? when we long to break free but can't. Look, the glorious liberating truth for the Christian is that we should not be slaves to anyone or anything except, of course, Jesus Christ. All these other things are dreadful, dreadful slave drivers. Jesus is a wonderful, loving, kind master. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We don't need to be enslaved by anything if we're Christian. And there on the handout, I've written this, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul gets to the very heart of our slavery as he writes, we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, Christians are free, but desperately, Christians who've been set free by Christ allow themselves to be ensnared by porn and career and and money and materialism and fashion and success and leisure and pleasure. Well, you name it. We allow ourselves to be in bondage to it. In John chapter 8, again on the handout, Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What is sin? Well, over these last weeks, we've heard sin defined as as substitution. Do you remember uh, three weeks ago, John Stott's brilliant definition of sin? In his book, The Cross of Christ, he wrote this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone, writes John Stott. Sin is substitution. It is putting myself in the place of God. Get off the throne, God. I want to rule my life. I'll make up the rules. That's sin. A couple of weeks back we saw how sin is in exchange. Uh, Exchanging the truth of God for a lie, as Paul puts it in Romans 1. So I I sin when I put myself where only God should be, uh, but I also sin when I put something else in the place that only God should have. That's really what we're thinking about this morning. And everyone does that. Everyone sins. And Jesus says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, we allow other things to become our master. Porn, promotion, passions, promises of perfect prospects. 
We are so enamoured by these things that we allow them to call the shots in our lives, pushing God away, serving them. What a terrible thing to do, to push God off the throne and to, to take the trinkets of life and serve and worship them instead. We are slaves and so we need to be redeemed. See, redemption, that's what Alan needed to understand if he was ever going to break free from his addiction to porn. And it's what the Anns and the Bobs and the Belindas need to grasp if they're to break free from their enslavement to their careers. And it's what we all need to hear whenever sin has got a grip of us, begun to master us. Whenever we say, I want to change but I can't, we need to understand redemption. Now let me stop there before I go any further. What is it that you seem unable to break free from? As I speak um, this morning, what sin is God laying on your heart at the moment? That besetting sin that you've said, I just can't break free from. I want to change but I can't. That's the thing that God wants to deal with you today. By understanding redemption, that's today's big word. Big words that end in shun. Redemption. In this uh, lead up to Easter, we've been looking carefully at the cross of Jesus Christ in in an attempt to understand what Jesus achieved for us on the cross, why we need the cross and what a difference the cross makes today. And over the last weeks, remember, we've looked at substitution, propitiation and reconciliation and today it is redemption. I've written on the uh, the handout a definition of, of, of redemption. Well, my definition, it is the freeing of a slave through the payment of a ransom. The Christian understanding of redemption is to be set free from slavery to sin by the ransom payment of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there are two great ways that Jesus sets us free. The first one on the handout there, set free for eternity. See, I imagine some people sitting here or hearing a recording of this on the internet and saying, what's the problem? Okay, I admit it, I'll put my hand up, I'm a slave, but I'm quite enjoying this life of slavery, actually. What's the problem? Here's the problem. Being a slave to sin has implications for eternity. You see, sin is highly offensive to God. And if you haven't got that yet, let me ask you to listen back to the last three sermons in this series. Sin is highly offensive to God. It is pushing God out and putting myself in his place. It is replacing him with the pathetic little charms of this life. How awful to do that to the living God who gives us everything. It's highly offensive to God. And the penalty for sin is death. And there are a couple of references there on the handout. Genesis 2.17 and Romans 6.23. Death is always and always has been and always will be the penalty for sin. Eternal death. Being separated from God forever. Years ago I talked to a good friend of mine uh, called Steve. I was his best man actually. I talked about this, about being separated from God for all eternity and he said to me, why is that so bad? I don't follow God now. What would be so bad about being separated from him forever? And what Steve hadn't grasped was that in this life, whether we follow God or not, we still benefit from many wonderful things that he has placed in this world. It's what the theologians call common grace. We have many good things that we enjoy from God now, whether we follow him or not. But in eternity, apart from God, 
we will be apart from all good things because he is the source of all good things. We will have none of those good things. So imagine, imagine waking up every day in a place where there is no beauty and no relationships, where everyone around you is thoroughly selfish and self-centred. They don't want anything to do with you. Imagine waking up every day where there is no happiness and nothing to enjoy. Nothing. Where, where, where everything is colourless. Where there's nothing to look forward to. And imagine waking up in this place every day and knowing that there's no end to this hopeless existence. That's the penalty for sin. God says, you want to ignore me all your life, then you will get that in eternity. Eternity apart from me. See, here's the problem of being a slave to sin. If you and I cannot stop sinning, and we cannot because we are slaves to sin, then we only have one future ahead of us, that bleak future of eternity apart from God. Isn't it awful? And that is why we need to be redeemed. We need to be delivered from sin. That is why passion for life is so important. Men and women and boys and girls need this redemption. To understand uh, what redemption is in the Bible, the biblical uh, prototype or paradigm, if I can use that word, for redemption is the Exodus. Now, I've written down again on the handout a whole uh, list of of references there that you can follow up later to see that. The biblical paradigm for redemption is the Exodus. As we look at the Exodus, you see, we see the Israelites completely unable to free themselves. They're enslaved by a wicked and powerful master, the mighty Pharaoh. Do you remember the story? They were slaves to Pharaoh. They couldn't break free, just as we can't break free from sin. But wonderfully, the living God is more powerful than Pharaoh and more powerful than sin. And so in the Exodus, God redeemed the Israelites through the blood of a lamb, a pure, spotless, unblemished lamb, had its throat cut and its blood poured out and then put on the doorpost of the household. And when the angel of death, you see, death is a penalty for sin, when the angel of death came, he, do you remember, passed over each Israelite household that had the blood on the doorposts and death did not visit the house. That is the biblical backdrop for redemption. In the Old Testament, God is described as a redeemer. Again, there's references on the handout. And in the New Testament, Jesus is God the redeemer. Once again, the references are there. But in each case, redemption comes against the backdrop of utter hopelessness and helplessness, of being held captive to forces we cannot overcome. See, we are held captive by sin. We cannot overcome it. Look, we know that when we tried to turn over a new leaf, when we tried hard to change, don't we? We can't do it. And that's why we and all human beings need more than any... And can you get hold of this? More than anything in the world, we need the redeeming work of Christ. People who are slaves need to be redeemed. And redemption happens when a price is paid when a ransom is paid to set us free. Now look, we've seen that in the news this week. The heartbreaking story of five-year-old Sahil Sahid. Remember, have you heard the story? Little boy, five-year-old little boy is over in Pakistan, snatched from his grandmother's house in Pakistan. Have you seen the, the dreadful uh, news uh, items where, 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 where his mum has been pleading for the kidnappers to, to let him free? When it first happened, the kidnappers demanded a £100,000 ransom. 
See, the ransom payment. We'll let him go if you give us £100,000. A ransom price must be paid to set somebody free. Well, Jesus said this in Mark 10.45, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ransom price by giving his life. See, it was a swap, a substitution, a life for a life. I love this comment on the handout by Leon Morris as he explains redemption in the ancient world. It's wonderful. The ransom is always proportionate to the redemption required. To ransom a lord would require a higher price than to ransom a common soldier. And when it is a question of the whole race, the whole race of mankind, the price is very high indeed. But the price was paid. Christ's death was the price that made it possible for all mankind to be set free. Isn't that wonderful? Now, as I read through over the page these uh, references that I put on the handout um, from the New Testament, um, as I read through um, these verses, see how redemption comes through the death, the blood of Jesus the Lamb. Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us as it is written, curses everyone is hung on a tree. How did he redeem us? By dying on a cross, hung on a tree. Romans 3, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, there's our word again, through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. How did it happen? God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. His sacrificial death brought redemption. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, his death, the forgiveness of sins. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I think this is the, these are the verses I love the most on this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. You see, you can't buy your... You can't use money to buy your way out of your problem. You know, money just comes and goes. It'll be burned up one day. It counts for nothing. You, you know it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. We think our lives are so great. They're so empty without Jesus. You're not redeemed from the empty way of life handed down for you with silver or gold, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There it is again. Redeemed by his blood. Have you seen it again and again? It is the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, the lamb without defect, which is the ransom price which brings about redemption. And what a costly price, the precious blood of Christ. And we see just how precious Christ's blood was as we read Revelation chapter 5, again on the handout there, Revelation 5. This is what they're singing in heaven, right now. They sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Here's, here's the line, and with your blood, with your death, you purchase men for God. There's the language of redemption. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. And just listen to Leon Morris on this verse. It's printed on the handout. This brings out the greatness of the price he who is the object of the worship of heaven was slain and with his blood he bought people for God. Isn't that wonderful? 
Do you see the point? We are in slavery. We cannot break free from our slavery. We cannot pay the price to free ourselves from our bondage. As slaves to sin, we face only eternal death, separation, eternal, eternal separation from our God. We need the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything in the whole world. Do you see that? Do you feel it? Do you see it for your friends? So Jesus sets us free from eternity. Now Alan and people like him know that. That's why they're Christians. Of course it is. But what so many Christians haven't grasped is that Jesus wants to set us free now for life. Second point on the handout. Jesus sets us free for life. It's not as long a point as you can probably tell from the handout. Look at Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now do you see that? Yes, we've been redeemed for eternity. Chapter 2 verse 14 of Titus redeemed us from all wickedness. But do you see it there? We've been redeemed to be a people eager to do what is good now. The real redeemed people of God show that they are redeemed by putting sin aside, saying no to sin, by wanting to be pure, by being eager to do what is good. No, we will never be perfect in this life, that's not the point. Sinless perfection is something we will only enjoy in heaven. How wonderful it will be to be free from all our sin. That's only going to happen in heaven. But in Christ we are given all the resources we need to break free from those sins that hold us in bondage. Those things that that, that God has laid on your heart. Those things that he he takes one or two things at a time and he says, let's deal with that. And he gives you all the resources to break free from them so that you're not a slave to those things. Do you see what this means? Pornography should not have a vice-like grip on Alan and all the men who, like him, claim Christ is their redeemer. Career, money, materialism, the pursuit of success, leisure and pleasure, none of these things should be driving us if we are truly redeemed by Christ. And that is a good thing, isn't it? Isn't it good that you don't have to be driven by those things? You can be free from it. We are free to live for Christ. Christ has redeemed us from slavery. Now to see this um, worked out finally, come with me as we close to Romans chapter 6, page 1133 uh, in the Bible. The second of the two readings that Ricky read for us just a bit earlier. Romans chapter 6, page 1133. Now this uh, wonderful and famous chapter Remember how it begins? Of course you do. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we go on sinning? Verse 2. By no means. We died to sin when we became Christians. See, that's the whole point of this chapter. Now look at verse 5. If we have been united with him, like this in his death, it's talking about being, uh, uh, becoming a Christian. You, you, you die, as it were, in baptism, in being baptised by the Holy Spirit, in becoming a Christian. You die to your sin, you rise to new life. Verse 5, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, in verses 5 and 6, Paul explains that becoming a Christian, being baptised into Christ, we said no to sin, we're dying to sin. That's what you did when you became a Christian, wasn't it? That's what I did. I said, I don't want anything to do with sin. I realised what, what a mess sin had got me into. That it had cut me off from God. That it had made me uh, an abhorrence to God. 
And once I realised that, I didn't want anything to do with that anymore. I'm not a perfect person, but I didn't want to do that anymore. That's repentance. I'm going to live the way of Christ now. I want to live differently. It's repentance. That's what Paul's saying in verses 5 and 6. So end of verse 6, we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now Christians, do you believe that? You don't have to be a slave to pornography or to money or to success or anything. You have to be a slave to popularity. You know, so many, all the time we've got to respond in a certain way because we want people to, to accept us. You don't have to be like that. Be free of it. And so, verse 11, Christian, count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. Now in chapter 7, Paul makes it very clear that, that we always will have a struggle with sin. But it's those times when God has put his finger on something. He said, let's deal with this. That can be overcome. You can be free of it. Alan never knew this. Oh, he's a mature Christian man who did not, be- did not believe that he could be free from pornography. Unless, of course, he didn't really want to be. See, in that kind of situation, Mark Driscoll says this, true followers of Jesus sin, but they don't love sin. Even as they sin, they hate what they do. And here's the point. Some Christians, or some people who call themselves Christians, show no signs of being redeemed by the way that they love sin. They love sin so much, you have to question whether they really are redeemed. Did Alan love his pornography habit so much that he didn't really want to be shot of it? Do Anne and Bob and Belinda really love their careers so much that all, and all the benefits their careers bring them? Do they love their careers so much they don't really mind that they are enslaved by it? See, Christian, if you really are a Christian, you will hate your sin as it is revealed to you. It will be a struggle to get rid of it, but you will hate it. You'll long to be free from it. Well, then listen to the liberating good news. Christ has paid a huge price to set you free. It cost him his life. That's how much your freedom matters to him. He will give you all the resources to overcome it. And as you come up in a moment to uh, take communion, rejoice in the price that was paid for you, the broken body resulting in the shed blood of Christ. Rejoice that the price paid has freed you from the eternal death penalty. But will you also see you have been redeemed to live a pure life for Christ? And so as you come up, turn afresh to the Lord Jesus. Ask him to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sinful desires and yes to holy desires. And for those of you that are really serious about this, that you've been grappling with something for a long time and you're suddenly getting a little glimpse that you could overcome it and you want to, let me encourage you to get a hold of this um, book. It's an excellent and very readable book, You Can Change by Tim Chester. It doesn't tell you to try harder because that doesn't work. 
He tells you the gospel has power to see you change and break free from sinful behaviour and it is well worth reading. Let me say as I close, to those who are not yet committed to Christ, maybe today you've just begun to realise that you're not as free as you thought you were. That you realise you can't break free from your sin. You've tried. You've you've tried those New Year's resolutions and all those sorts of things and and you can't get free. Uh, You know now there's stuff in your life that you don't like and you can't begin to think what a holy and pure God must think of it. You're becoming aware of the danger of being a slave to sin, the danger of eternal death. Now if that's you, then accept Jesus as your Redeemer today. Again, use this communion service to do that. It might be that you stay in your pew and you think about that. It might be that for the first time ever you come up to the communion rail as a mark that you are starting again with Jesus. And you're going to say, I don't want anything to do with sin anymore. I know it's going to be there, but I don't like it. I'm turning away from it. That's repentance. And I'm trusting in Jesus alone to be my redeemer, to get me right with God. That's faith, repentance and faith. That's becoming a Christian. And whoever we are, remember this, we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. He wants to set us free for eternity and he wants to set us free for life. What a God. What love. Let's pray together. Well, I'm going to leave a moment of silence for us to make our own prayers to God. It might be that you simply want to thank him for his redeeming work. I guess for a number of us, there'll be something that we want to ask him to help us with. And it might be that in this time, you want to commit your life to Christ for the very first time. A moment of silence, and then after we've prayed on our own, uh, David Middleton will lead us in our prayers of intercession.